Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very, very special episode of King of Pro Wrestling. Um, it is an incredible time right now with StarCast literally starting up uh, less than 24 hours away. It's a Wednesday night as I record this. Uh, I'm flying solo right now because we put an interview in the can yesterday. No, earlier today. Man, it's it's been an exhausting week already. Um, we put an interview in the can today with the one and only Magnum TA, and it was an incredible opportunity, wonderful experience. Um, big shout out to Dave Hancock and the StarCast crew um, for, for helping us get the interview uh, the first of, of what will hopefully be many interviews that we'll have for you after this weekend. And Paul and I could not be more thrilled with getting Magnum TA on the show. You know, we are absolutely a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, but the truth is that when his name was announced, we both immediately texted one another and were just ecstatic over the possibility of being able to get him on the show and have an interview with Magnum TA. Um, and he couldn't be the more perfect guest. Uh, you know, he was open, he's, he's honest, he's passionate, he's so intelligent um, about the business, and is just a really great, wonderful human being. Um, and that all comes across in this interview. He, he was generous with his time. Uh, we talked for over an hour, um, which is, you know, not completely unheard of, but certainly not the norm for interviews of this nature. So we're really grateful to him and we're grateful to have the chance to talk to him. Um, a guy who in six short years in the business left an indelible mark on it. His legacy is incredibly strong and can be seen through the likes of, of Tessa Blanchard and even to an extent Cody Rhodes uh, as well. Um, there's a lot of talent that apparently has you know has sat under that learning tree at one time or another. So we're thrilled to be able to have the opportunity uh, to do this, and uh, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great ride. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, we tried to talk about some things that you don't normally hear him talking about in other interviews or documentaries, uh, other shoots. So uh, hopefully there'll be some new stuff in here. Uh, and of course, we talk quite a bit about Starcast and All In and what that means for the business and what that means to a guy like Magnum TA specifically. So I'm going to quit talking now and uh, throw you over to Magnum TA, our interview. Um, it's it's pretty fantastic, very special to us, so we hope you enjoy it. I'm so thrilled to be speaking to you. It really is uh, a big, big honor. And, uh, you know, when you got announced for StarCast pretty much right away, uh, my co-host and I said, Man, if there's if there's one guy that we got to try to get an interview with or we got to try and meet, it's definitely Magnum. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time with us. Well, I appreciate it, and um, I'm 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 probably as as excited about the event as anybody. I, it's uh, it's going to be historical. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. One of the things I, I wanted to ask you about right off the bat is that with you know with your history with your background um and if you don't mind just diving straight in unfortunately my my co-host is having some trouble so i don't know that he's going to be able to make it but uh obviously i know your time is valuable so i don't want to uh put anything off or make you wait um so if you don't mind we could just dive right in yeah i'm cool with that yeah great um so with you know with your history in the business and starting off you know in the territories um and and then being there also at the beginning of, of sort of that push towards the national expansion um comparing those days to what's happening now and in particular 
with All In. Um, what do you think that that means for wrestling at, at a time when WWE had really been the only game in town for a while there? Well, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's the evolution. You know, we were never going to get to go back to the day of all the territories and all the, you know, just huge number of promotions that we had an opportunity to work for back in the, you know, in the 80s. I mean, it was, you know, I, I started working for Don Owens in Portland, Oregon, and worked all over the country before I ended up with Jim Crockett. Uh, and, you know, back then you could get so much experience in so many places, and there was no Internet. There was no, no, any way, you know, anybody had any way of knowing what you were doing anywhere until you hit, you know, the, the national TV. You know, we were in our little syndicated markets, and, now in the days of explosion of information and the internet and people being able to watch, you know, wrestling in New Japan and and a Ring of Honor and and all you know all the you know great talent that's been you know just bubbling up in the Indies, uh, yeah. it, it, it kind of created a different kind of re- revolution to give a uh, give a product that this competitive and, and uh, marketably different. That was always our thing when, when, when uh, I worked with Dusty and, and it, close with him with the Crockett's when we went national, we were trying to give a marketably different product than the WWE product or WWF back then. And, and, uh, and, it, and it worked. I mean, we would go head to head with them in towns and, and you know, both of us sell out our prospective venues and it was exciting times, and it wasn't that. Yeah, it, it was just good competition. And of course, when uh, WCW, uh, you know, fell in its demise and, and fell apart, uh, that you know, the creative spirit of competition was gone. And now, you know, it's come full circle again. And you know, these young kids that have uh, you know, know no fear and and uh, you know, are reaching for that brass ring. Are making it come alive in this that grassroots wrestling fan that that was always there in the past has now become a, a, a internet wrestling fan, and and these these guys are all stars in their own right, just like they were on uh, you know TBS back in the day. So it's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I know without a doubt, and and certainly being a part of that that fandom, and also having uh, you know such a strong love for the business, and and really growing up with it. You know, I, my earliest memories are literally of watching wrestling, um, and and my mom was actually she was a bartender up in Minneapolis, and uh, you know this is back in like the late seventies, early eighties, um, and so a lot of the AWA guys used to come in there. So she you know was always talking to me about wrestling, telling me stories about wrestling, and and. I think for me as a fan, just my perspective is such an incredibly unique time in the business and to see what, you know, Cody and the Young Bucks specifically have done with All In is is pretty incredible. Um, if you don't mind, it looks like my, my podcast partner, my co-host is actually uh, available and I don't want him to miss out on this. So if you don't mind, just bear with Hello. me one second. I'm going to get him in on the call. I'm in. You're in. Madman, can you hear Paul? Hey, man. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm sorry, I'm a couple minutes late. Family issues. 
That's okay. Uh, family comes first. Got to take care of business. Glad, glad, glad you're on here. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled to be on. Um, so we uh, we were just talking about kind of what all in means to the business, and uh, you know I just mentioned Cody, and and obviously as as your godson, um, if you don't mind, I know it's kind of a personal question. How how do you feel right now, uh, knowing that Cody is is at the forefront and has you know promoted this event uh, on Saturday? It's so emotional. I, I, Dallas Page and I were talking last night on the phone about it, and you know, like to me, it's like the greatest tribute you know to his father that there could ever be because I mean Dusty was the creator of Starcade and the and the first mega shows and the things that he did and now here his son is is you know you know gone against the grain you know gone out there and done something that that you know 90% of the world thought would fail and not only is it successful you know they sold it out in record time and and uh, you know it's just gonna it's gonna be a mark in history that uh, you know his name will always be synonymous with, and and to be challenging for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship is just like the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah, without a doubt. Paul and I have talked about that a couple of times and, you know, about how it's it's literally the belt that, you know, that his father held. And uh, I, I even as a, just as a fan, uh, you know, the emotional involvement and the stakes for me ha- have grown since that announcement was made uh, a couple months ago. Um, and now, obviously, you know, that's not the only piece of sort of emotional tie and family you have to the event as well. Um, Tessa Blanchard's going to be performing on the card. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of times uh, uh, I live in Chicago, and so when she's wrestled at Shimmer events, I've gotten to talk to her a couple of times. Um, and I, I can only imagine, you know, how proud you are of all of her accomplishments. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it means that not only is she on this card, but just what she's been able to do in these past few years? Well, you know, it, it's funny because no matter how much you know potential someone has or how much talent someone has or whatever, you can't give them desire because that's that's that that special. To have all the all the chemistry and all the things in the world, but unless you have that burning desire to be the very best, you'll never realize you know whatever you're capable of. And Tessa, you know, didn't grow up with some big love for wrestling as a little girl, but when she went and saw her dad inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, it ignited this spark in her brain of, of seeing what you know this amazing world that was and they opened up that thought and she she broke into wrestling you know like in that whole think thinking like at 18 19 years old and started here training with george south and and uh i mean had dug in paid you know paid her dues like old school helping them set up the rings tear the rings down driving up and down the road for 30 dollars and a bloody sandwich i mean you know the whole drill and <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I know that she is the real deal, sincere, given this thing, everything she's got. And she does have the it factor and she's, and she has uh, developed the physicality that she now possesses through her just banging it and beating it into gym. And, you know, she's turning herself into a beast as far as what she's physically capable of. So you put that, put that together with the DNA she got from her dad and, and a sprinkling of what uh, her mom and I were able to influence her with 
And, uh, you know, she's just got all the makings to, you know, to be a, a real superstar in the business as well. So you know, she just uh, recently won the, the uh, Impact Championship, a women's championship up in Canada. And uh, we were yeah. you know, really excited yeah. for her there. And, uh, I mean, she, she's just 23 years old. I mean, she's got the whole world ahead of her. By the time she's 25 years old, uh, you know, she will be on a par with the, the very best in the world. Uh, yeah, there's there's little doubt to that. I mean, she is is absolutely incredible, and and I, you know, the first time I got to see her, uh, I immediately just thought, you know, this is this is somebody to watch. You know, she's got something that you know, no no disrespect to anyone else, that not a lot of people have, and uh, uh, I'm very very interested to see you know what comes next for her, and, and obviously excited to see her um, this weekend as well. Um, you know, I'm so sorry, Magnum. We're having some technical difficulties. I'm going to try and get Paul back in here on the call. Um, and if and if we have I'm any back. more trouble, no, then, I'm you back. know. I don't know okay. what happened there. All right. Modern technology. I'm, I'm convinced here the wrestling guys don't want me to take part in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, but, but um, actually, you know, Paul. No, I was just going to say. Like, Paul, do you want to go ahead and ask a question? Yeah. You have an event, obviously, like All In, has been centered around a lot of interactivity with the fans. And, you know, like, in your whole career, you were well-known to be good to your fans, and obviously you continue to be. What does an event with StarCast built with so much fan support mean to not only you, but to wrestling in general? Well, I, I, I think yeah, I think this is the ultimate give it all back to the fans. And, I mean, you know, there is no business without the fans, first of all. And, and uh, I mean, we all got to, you know, do this thing that we love because people love to watch it. And without them, there you know, there's nothing. And so, to give to to give the world the opportunity to see this, I mean, this unbelievable card. I mean, I'm looking at the people on this card and going, I mean, this this could be this could be being played out in front of a hundred thousand people just as well as ten thousand people. And with you know, and I, and I hope that the uh, the pay per view you know just hits a home run. I hope, hope people are really able to to uh, take this all in because this is a you know it's a it's a new era it's a new time i mean the internet has changed the world uh, you know in a lot of ways it's not good but in a lot of ways it's great because you can instantly you know find out anything you want to find out you can see anybody you want to, to perform people can watch people like me from 30 years ago and and compare what i did to what people are doing today and uh, you know, it's just it's just a great time, uh, the business. And I, I and I think and I, I like the WWE product. So it's like I, I still am a fan myself. I watch Impact, watch WWE, watch the Ring of Honor when I can, and you know I watch all of them to see you know what it has evolved into, what are the what are the people you know like today. But it you know the, it's still the basic mechanics of being able to tell a story. They do some exciting stuff and some amazing moves and things that, you know, nobody would have thought about doing 30 years ago. I mean, they did in, in uh, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, Lucha Libre and that kind of stuff, but not here in the country. And now all the high flying has become the norm. So, but the guys that can still do all that and tell the story uh, are still the artistes that you know really make this happen so i mean i'm excited 
I'm excited to see what they do myself. I'm excited for the fans to be able to see such a great card. Uh, yeah, I've never seen Kenny Omega a working person. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Uh, I've seen, I've known Ray Mysterio since he was young, and was was just had just come into WCW as a you know young guy. So uh, it, it's going to be a fun night. Yeah, w- without a doubt. You, you, you know, you mentioned a little bit about, um, and I've heard you in other interviews, uh, you know, call wrestlers artists and talk about the artistry of professional wrestling. And I love that. Uh, my background actually was as a professional actor for about a decade uh, in theater. And, and uh, so I, I see some of the parallels there. And uh, I, I think it's something that gets missed a lot of the times, unfortunately, especially by people that might not be fans. Um, and, and I think that's such a shame because there's such an art to, to what you do. Um, and, and speaking specifically, about that, I always thought that your psychology was so good. And I say that, you know, as, as a lay person in the wrestling world, I, I don't you know all the ins and outs of that. But you, you seem to always be so great at getting sympathy. Um, you know, you always delivered whenever you got fired up. Um, and and my, my, one of my favorite things about your work had to be knowing when to quit wrestling and when to start fighting. And, and I think that that seems to be it's not done as much these days. You know, people kind of just get into the ring and just go. And and watching, you know, matches that, that you were having in, in the Mid-South or in the Mid-Atlantic or even going back to Florida, uh, not that there's a lot available, unfortunately, but, like, seeing you, you know, Matt wrestle with a guy and then maybe he takes a cheap shot and all of a sudden it's like, no, Magnum TA, you know, he came here to fight. Uh, do, you, do you want to talk a little bit kind of just about your process in that? Yeah, and, and, I'd love and to. Just, yeah. Yeah, I, I awesome. mean, I love to because I can't, you know, Eddie Graham, and and listen for hours and hours and hours about the psychology and the reasoning for everything you did, and he would always tell me that every night you went in the ring, you had to reestablish who you were as a character. It didn't matter whether they watched you on TV and heard your promos and all those things. You had to tell the story, paint the picture of why. You were the good guy, why the other guy was the bad guy, why the bad guy had to have a reason to get frustrated because he got out-wrestled or he got out-maneuvered or you, you just had a better game plan. There had to be reasoning for the things that happened, and you told that story. And, and of course, the conclusion of the match, you know, you give them whatever you know, final ending they wanted, but we didn't lay – the matches out step by step with all the spots and all the things that they do today. So we had to paint that picture and tell them, and there had to be a rational, a rational reason why things happen, or why would somebody is somebody just going to be a heel because you act mean? <laughs> I mean, you got to have a reason, you know, for for booing somebody. And yeah, somebody can be yeah. arrogant, and they can be this, but then if the body language and the mechanics of what they do once they get in the ring, if they can out wrestle everybody and just beat them, then you know what? Then okay, then they're just better. That doesn't tell. That doesn't give you a reason for them to be. Uh, you know, all the things that encompass that really good heel. And, you know, and a baby face has got to be able to get that sympathy without dying and keep in making those fans just on the edge of their seat wanting to see you come back and kick that guy's rear end, you know, and, and overcome 
all the kind of things that they're trying to overcome in their lives because people live vicariously through watching this. It is. It's a live soap opera, you know, in the in the round that people get to participate in emotionally. And if you can't tell a good story, then they, you know, it's like how many times can you pop for a fin- you know, for something that should have killed somebody that they've done 999 times and then they just got back up. It's kind of like the you know Roadrunner and the Coyote after a while. So you've got to right. be, you know, you got to be able to tell a story in there with that that makes sense. And yeah, we do superhuman type things in the ring, and I get that. But I mean, I, like I watch guys like Ricochet, and and he knows he can do all that, but he can do it to a point to still sell it, put over what happened, make the moves make sense, and and then. Then you you know you're not just boom bing bang boom you know safe gets dropped up on your head and everybody's going oh my gosh and then you're right back up. I mean, can you imagine yeah. today somebody beating somebody with a belly to belly suplex? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't happen. I know. Yeah, it, 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 it's crazy though because just watching you know it, it, the, the the way that you used to do it, 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 it there's something about it, the impact that was created uh, that I feel like today you're right it kind of ends up being a bit of a throwaway move, um, but you're also right about Ricochet. Uh, did you have a chance to see that match that he just had with Adam Cole uh, this past week? In uh, oh my god, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, and that, 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 that moonsault when he got kicked in the face, it was oh, just that. that. Was I mean, that's the type of stuff. Yeah, and that's the type of stuff, I think, kind of what you're talking about, where he can do something that looks remarkable, incredible, superhuman, and yet the end result of it, it, it has an impact. It has a weight. It, it's not just a throwaway, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and Chris Jericho, you know, same thing. He was always mm. like that, too. So that that's the thing. I like the guys that can do the things that do it and, and, and the false finishes back and forth towards the end of the match are exciting. It, it is, it's back and forth and oh my gosh, and almost there and oh my God, how did he kick out of that? And that's great, but we need to do all these high spots just for a pop from start to finish with no rhyme, no reason. It, it, it's like, you know, I mean, when you want to reel them back in, it's just like you go see a movie and you know it's a movie and you know they filmed it and you know nobody got hurt, but when it's really good, it makes you on the edge of your seat, holding your breath, what's getting ready to happen. And a wrestling match should do the same thing to you and take you on that same ride. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And then that's why I brought up the fact that I used to be an actor, because I feel like that, you know, you, 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 when you, whenever you tell a story, when that's your job to tell a story, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the venue is, whether it's a wrestling ring or, or a theater or a piece of film or, or whatnot. And I, I think without the emotional investment of the people, the, the audience that you're, you know, that you're out there telling that story to, um, it doesn't matter what payoff you might have dreamed up in your head. If they don't have that emotional investment, it's not going to feel like a payoff for them. And, you know, they're the ones that are important. Um, I had an acting teacher who always used to, who always used to say, it doesn't matter whether or not you're crying. It only matters if they're crying. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and, and it's true. And, and that's, like I said, I had some great mentors and teachers and Eddie Graham was one of the best. And cowboy Bill Watts taught me so much. Superstar Bill Dundee taught me so much. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I could just tell you, you know, I mean, I, I had the privilege of being around some of the greats. I mean, you know, Ric Flair when he was young and, and you know, going, we, he and I went 19-hour broadways in one month. 
<laughs> can you imagine how much ring time and, and experience that gives you and and what yeah. it does to your skill sets? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it, there aren't many, you know, kids today that have ever even gone 30 minutes, let, let alone an hour. And, uh, you know, that was the norm. And, and the people were, you know, about to come out of their seats. It wasn't like go to sleep and wake up and tell me, you know, what happened. It was, <laughs> it was exciting for an hour. So, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's a new, it's, it's, it's always, everything's always refreshing. It's always new. It's great to see, you know, the, the new innovations and the things that guys are doing. But it's still the love and the passion for the business, for the art form of it, for being able to be recognized as being, uh, you know, one of the elite performers in, in the world. And, and there's so many guys on this card, uh, you know, that, that fit that bill. And like I said, I just couldn't be any prouder of, of uh, Tessa or Cody either one. I, I mean, I just can't wait just to be there, just to soak some of it up and, and uh, feel the ambience there with, you know, 10,000 people. I know they're just going to be coming unglued. Yeah, I, it's a huge thrill for us to, to be able to to be there and to be a part of StarCast as well. I, I mean, the event um, is going to be something very, very special. And, and really, it's one of a kind. You know, WrestleMania weekend is something that's its own machine, and it is huge, there's no doubt. But to be able to, to be a part of something that feels a little bit more grassroots and kind of you know, do it yourself uh, is, is a very special thing, I think, for fans like me um, and hopefully for, for the talent as well. Uh, Paul, did you have a couple other questions you wanted to get in? Yeah, I wanted to ask, Magnum, you know, with the Internet today, and you touched upon it, but specifically with, like, the WWE Network, for example, there's so many fans that can go back and either watch some of your matches for the first time or maybe watch them that they haven't seen in a long time in a new way. Um, but unfortunately, you know, there's still a lot of matches that aren't on there or that are lost to time. Is there any standout moments or, or matches that you weren't aware that were filmed that stand out in your mind? No, I mean... It, the 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 biggest, I mean, the biggest two things that you know, people, well, three things. I mean, people talk to me, you know, hands down, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time about the I Quit match with Tully. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we you know, yeah, we, well, who, who wouldn't want to talk about we, that? We, yeah, I mean, we had you know, we had no idea at the time that you know we were do something that people were going to be talking about for thirty thirty plus years after the fact. Uh, yeah, and and I knew it was a great angle, and I mean we worked that program for eight months leading up to that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine them today working a program for eight months on, with anybody? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you know, you know they'd had seven pay per views during that period of time, so there there wouldn't have been been able to wait to have a blow off match. But but anyway, yeah. you know, but but I you know I'm so thankful that. You know, everybody was all aggravated and everything, or a lot of guys were when Vince was buying up all the the old films and whatnot. I'm going, guys, I said, you don't realize that, <laughs> thank God somebody's gathering this up and saving it for and preserving yeah. what we did. Because to your point, I mean, I have little kids that are, you know, seven, eight years old coming up saying, yeah, my dad and I watched you, dad, I'm going, Wow, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how crazy is that? And and his dad was talking to me about being there with his dad, you know, watching me do it live. And I'm going, you know, oh, this, man. you know, in what world is that not just the craziest thing, you know, ever? So I'm yeah. I'm so thankful for the the network and what they've done and how they've preserved 
the history of, of uh, you know, what we did and, you know, that they've been recognizing people like Ricky and Robert and, and uh, you know, giving them a, a plug. I mean, I mean, Ricky and Robert are still out there wrestling, for God's sakes, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's all a plus plus. Like I said, it's, it's a big old family. It isn't like uh, – uh, there's a good promotion and a bad promotion. I mean, I mean, obviously there will never be anybody to have a bigger machine, better machine production uh, resources, anything to compete with what the WWE universe now contains. But it's really nice that the world's big enough that there can be other really good productions, promotions, and places for people to go in our living because frankly that bubble's not big enough to support you know in the 80s there was probably a thousand guys across the country across the world making a living uh, in the world of professional wrestling and when that bubble shrinks down to one group uh, then the, the opportunities just aren't there and it's not good for anybody it's not good for them it's, not, it's the, you know one of the reasons that I think you know, so many guys kept getting recycled and recycled and recycled because there were no young Dusty Roads and Harley races and Magnums and you know guys coming out of the, out of the cycle because there was nowhere for that that, that you know product to come from. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. I, you know, I just I, wanted to ask too on a personal question. You know, I watched a lot of the stuff that's on the network, and one of the things I love to watch is the old Mid South stuff. What was it like to work for Bill Watts? Because you hear all kinds of stories. And, and specifically, too, what was Bill Watts like when you gave your notice that you were leaving? <laughs> well, first of all, I, working for Bill Watts was was completely the, the most necessary step that I needed to take the next step to, to go on and do what I did when I came to the NWA. Uh, he put the polish on me by by putting me in main event atmospheres and environments and angles. And with I started out with uh, Axel, Jim Duggan, and I were tag team partners when I first went in, and we had to work with Ted DiBiase and different guys. Jim Jim the Anvil Nineheart was there too around that time. And then I had I, they put me out there with uh, Mr. Wrestling too, who eventually turned turned heel on on JYD. First time in his whole career, he was a heel, and then he and I worked the program together, and, and uh, which was good. But but anyway, all back to Bill. Bill was just you know as intense an individual as you could ever want to be around, and he was passionate, loved the business, you know, operated it like he was like he owned an NFL team, and he had high expectations of his players. And we had a team meeting every week at TV in Shreveport where we did our television at the Irish McNeil's Boys Center. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we had some come to Jesus, uh, you know, talks with the whole group on, on a number of occasions. But to your point, I left with the territory on fire. I mean, literally, we were selling out every arena that we went to. And he was doing more business than he'd ever done. And I was on top. <laughs> and I, and and I got the call from Dusty, and and, uh, and he had come to work for Jimmy. Uh, Barry Windham had come in to be in the spot for the top babyface spot, and and uh, Barry Barry couldn't uh, 
couldn't deal with with the poor business they were doing and the money he was making, and he went to New York, just left. And mm-hmm. and they called me in the middle of the night and said, yeah, I've got, you know, here's where we're at. I mean, Dusty was, like, tore up that Barry has left, and uh, he and I were uh, best friends. And I, and I heard that in my friend's voice. I knew he needed help. So he put Jimmy Crockett on the phone with me, who I'd never met before in my life, and here I'm making, you know, two thousand plus dollars a week and those guys in mid Atlanta were making four hundred dollars a week. And and uh he said he said, I can't he said, I can't promise you I can match what you're making there. He said, But I promise you that I will give you the biggest opportunity of your lifetime if you'll come here and give us a chance. And he was a true he was a true man to his word. They gave me the biggest push I think anybody had ever had. Uh, up until that time, I mean, uh, you saw when we went on TBS, they, they wouldn't even let me go in the ring with anybody more than ten to fifteen seconds because they wanted people to come see me <laughs> see me in the arena. You know, they wanted me to just blow yeah. them out and come come see me in the arena and, and where I put in the thirty minutes and forty five minutes in the hour matches. And uh, uh, you know, and, but I worked a six week notice for Bill, and he. Brow beat me in front of that group every every week for six weeks. But, you know, I did all the favors for everybody on the way out, and I shook hands with everybody, and, and I, you know, I took care of business the way you should take care of business. And, you know, there was no regrets. I mean, we, we're all men, and uh, you know, there's cho- cho- sometimes you've got to take a leap of faith to jump out there on that, that tip of that lightning bolt to try to take that ride. And uh, that's certainly what I did <laughs> to uh, you know go for that opportunity. But he he and I were very close. And when uh, I mean I could pick up the phone and talk to him today, just like I did you know 20 years ago, and uh, it'd be the same. I, I mean I love him. He he's uh, he's a hard man, but he was a fair man. So I, I really you know I, I really learned a lot there. I call that graduate school. I went. I learned. <laughs> The foundation in Florida from from Eddie, and when I got over there, I went to graduate school, and uh, and I, sc- I escaped with my diploma and my pants still intact. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this uh, this is so great. Um, I, I, yeah, uh, I have to uh, ask real quick. You mentioned him, and I actually had him in my notes here because I was watching um, uh, the cage match with you and Mr. Wrestling Two taking on Butch Reed and, and Jim Neidhart, and obviously uh, Jim Neidhart recently just passed away. Uh, so I felt like we'd be remiss if we didn't ask to see if you had any uh, any good Jim Neidhart stories that you wanted to share with us. Well, I love, I absolutely love Jim Neidhart. I, I, from nobody that met him, they got to spend time with him and talk with him. Couldn't couldn't uh, do anything but love him. He had a great personality. I remember. When his daughter was just just a little baby, when we were there in Louisiana together, and uh, and and Jim was just so big and strong and powerful. Of course, Butch Reed was Butch Reed was no wimpy guy himself. I mean, Butch had some incredible uh, matches with Butch Reed, singles matches and tag matches. But then you put the two of those behemoths together, and my gosh, I mean, I, I mean, Jim. I actually uh, I went. I remember going over to his apartment. And he showed me this powerlifting rack that he that he designed and built himself, and just all kind of stuff. He, I mean, he he was just a super guy. But he was really, really 
young in the business when I met him. It, man, he was just so strong. I mean, if like like if he ducked down by the ropes and you were supposed to like go flying over the top, take your bump to the floor, you better go ahead and do it quick because if he got a chance to give you a little boost, you were going about 15 feet in the air. <laughs> he was just he was just uh, I mean brute strong. He, I mean he just. I don't know if you remember what he looked like back then, but but I mean uh, yeah, he oh, yeah. he had got that name from throwing the anvil and you know, I guess the Calgary Stampede in some some kind of strongman contest and uh, yeah I was reading about that not too yeah. long ago actually yeah um, yeah you know, and, I, and I got I, oh I'm sorry go ahead. yeah. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just that sometimes it's hard to, to hear when you're done. Um, you were talking earlier about, well, especially the I Quit match. And one of the things that made that match is not only the, the brutality, it was the optics of it with that piece of the chair and the blood. Do you think bleeding in a match is, nece- is necessary sometimes? And do you think that WWE's policy of no bleeding hurts some of their feuds? Oh, it kills it. It kills it because hmm. you, you're, try- you're trying to tell a story. That if you can't bust a grape, <laughs> I mean seriously, I mean, <laughs> I mean you know, two kids, two eight-year-old kids fighting in the in the schoolyard, you know, punch somebody, and, and somebody's gonna walk right away with a bloody lip or a bloody nose. If you've got super athletes in the ring that are hurling drop kicks and and flying forearms and super punches and everything else, and nobody spits out a tooth or has a bloody nose or a bloody head or anything, you know. You know, it, it 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 makes it all just kind of silly to me. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I and and it's not that I'm a. I think people you can go the other way with it too. I mean, I don't think every match on the card should have juice, but I think right. when when you've got the the right piece and the right setting and the right deal, you know, I don't know how you can bring you can you can show that whole uh, emotion and that paint that whole story out without somebody, uh, you know, getting busted open. I, I just don't know how you can do it, but, I, but we live in such a time of extremes and everybody worried about this and worried about that and liabilities. I mean, I get it. I get why it's difficult to do today, but you know, I, I think, I think uh, I know Triple H gets it. I mean, I know he's old school thought process, and and uh, you know, I like. I mean, I actually like you know watching some of the NXT products better than I do the Raw uh, and the SmackDown shows because I can yeah. see, yeah, I, I can see his enough. hand. Yeah. You don't think what? I said I don't think you're alone on that. I think there's a lot of wrestling yeah. fans that actually prefer NXT to the main roster right now. Yeah, so so there's just a feeling and a vibe in that show that I could feel like his influence greater on uh, just you know what and 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 I realize from an advertising an advertising standpoint and a marketability you know, it's a much bigger billion dollar business than than anything you know we could have ever imagined in 1985 what it's grown to. So, you know, you, you're worried about advertisers and, and, and offending people and so many blooming things. I mean, they can't even do the things that they did back during the Attitude Era, much less turn back yeah. the clock. Because I often thought about this. I mean, we were, we were depicting such heavy violence ourselves. 
and where we were going, we would have had the attitude era before Vince. If I hadn't crashed in 86, the way we were going, we would have had the attitude era before Vince ever got to have the attitude era. Because of, you know, I, yeah, I, because I mean, I'd already knocked, I'd already punched Bob Goggle in the mouth. I'm the top. I was just get ready to mention that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already, I've already punched Bob Goggle and got stripped of the U.S. title, and and the world title was, you know, within, you know, I could, I could feel it, you know, almost in my grasp. It was that close to being a reality, and but my character was becoming very. Uh, rebel, rebel with a cause kind of thing, where it was kind of, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm all for right and everything, but it was becoming a lift, little anti-establishment and and the old school of proper this and proper that, and we we were going down that road pretty daggone quickly, uh, and and uh, it, I mean, if I'd ever got in back. With the world title and in a feud with Tully, uh, I can't even imagine where it would have gone. Man, yeah, it's fun. It's so funny that you bring that up because I, I literally had written down a question to ask you about, um, you know, having that rebellious streak and that you know it was almost impossible in, in what we saw for you to not be a babyface. Um, you know, the way that the crowds reacted to you uh, and. and the truth is that you didn't really always necessarily wear a white hat. You know, you, you did punch Geigel, you know, you did get into those brawls with Tully and, you know, there, there, there was a lot uh, of sort of shades of gray to your character, which I always appreciated. Um, so I, I want to kind of take a, a, almost a U-turn here, if you will, or a trip across the ocean, because uh, I, I feel like I should mention, uh, like I said earlier, Paul and I were so thrilled uh, to have you on the show as a guest, but our podcast actually normally covers New Japan Pro Wrestling. We don't touch on a lot of North American wrestling, even though we're just huge wrestling fans in general. Um, and I'm just curious, did you did you ever entertain or have any offers or, or, or any contact with, you know, with either all Japan wrestling, pro wrestling or new Japan pro wrestling? Cause I know, um, you know, obviously some of the guys that you worked with had been over there uh, a little bit. I, I think, you know, flair at that point had been over there a few times. Um, was that ever something that was on your radar or were you just more, you know, kind of entrenched in the territory that you were in at the time and didn't really entertain any of that? Well, we had gone, you know, nationwide at, you know, that, that last year, year and a half that I was with before I had my accident, I was supposed to go. Right. I, I was booked to go to Japan in February, uh, so I had I had a car accident in October of '86, and I was supposed to go to in, in February of uh, of uh, of '87. Uh, of uh, of so I was oh, already booked. I had no idea. And it was, and it was my first. It was going to be my first time ever. Uh, going, and it, it was yeah. something they had to negotiate with Crockett because of the things they had built around me. You know, I, I couldn't just take off without it. You know, right. working with everybody's schedule and and all that kind of good stuff. And it wouldn't have been one of those six week tours or anything. It would have been. It, I was supposed to go over there for like seven or ten days. And uh, wow, yeah, so it, yeah, it was already booked. I, I had the passport. I mean, I was ready to go. I was, I was looking forward to it because that was that was on my bucket list of things that I always wanted to do: was go over and wrestle in the Tokyo yeah. Dome. Nice, oh, man. Uh, 
Now, yeah, that, that, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, you said you were you were going to go over did you to Japan during your time? Uh, did you ever get any feelers or offers from Vince to go to New York? I never had one conversation with Vince ever until after my accident, and uh, and, and 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 I was under contract with a, I had a three year contract with. Uh, with with Crockett and and I was one of the there was five of us in 1985 that all got for the first time real wrestling contracts that had money guarantees associated with them that were very substantial and I was one of them and and we we were the benchmark we we started the whole thing that was later to come and uh and I Vince knew that I was under contract, so I'm sure that you know him uh you know him stepping over that that line would have been something legally he wouldn't even have you know thought about doing the kind of businessman that he was but uh and and you know they were treating me so good i mean i i mean my 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 dream was always to was you know get the run with world title. Uh, and and I didn't want to, and <laughs> you, y'all are gonna laugh, but I mean I didn't want to wrestle past thirty years old. Oh, I, wow. <laughs> I, I wanted, yeah, because I I didn't want to be running around in my you know in my speedos, uh, you know in my thirties. I just thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I honestly I I thought you know you do this, and you know back then with the, with the title. You know, I could have easily been making over a million dollars a year, and I figured if I had a two and a half, three year run with the title, that you know, I'd be I'd be done. And I wanted to go, I wanted to go drive, yeah. I wanted to go drive NASCARs after that. Oh wow! No, oh, I, I never no heard idea. that before. Yeah, I, I had driven Benny Parsons' car at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway through a co-promotion thing, and I fell in love with it. And uh, and and uh, Hal Needham, who owned the car, had actually talked to me about them sending me to driving school, and I mean it was all I, I had the wheels in motion. Crockett was about to lose his mind because I, <laughs> I said this is more fun than anything I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That probably gave him a little bit of uh, a little bit of a heart palpitation. <laughs> yeah. No, we were all flying on an airplane. This is a true story. We were flying on an airplane cross country. Dusty and I are, and Jim Crockett are sitting in first class. I watched this guy walking past me, and I noticed all these conchos on his belt buckle that have movie names on them. And and I'm looking at the guy's got a cowboy hat on. He looks like somebody I should know. And then he sat down across from me, and I find out it's Hal Needham. And he, oh by the way, owns the Skull Bandit Racing Team. And wow. and, and and he found out that I had driven the car out at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and and then the whole thing just took off. <laughs> it was like. By the time we got, by the time we got back on the ground, Jim, Jimmy Crockett was probably about to go into, into some kind of stroke or something. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised Jim Crockett didn't try to get him away from me on the airplane. Yeah, yeah, you know, we were flying across uh, country, having a couple of cocktails, and talking about racing. <laughs> 
<laughs> ah, that's so cool. That's so yeah. cool. Um, you know, speaking of, of, of like flying across town uh, or across the country, rather, did you um, have any favorite towns that, that really always stuck out to you? Um, um, I mean, obviously, with all the experience in Mid South, uh, that's a huge you know territory. But um, were there any particular spots anywhere around the country that, that you just would go into the building and, and it's like I can't wait to wrestle here? Well. You know, I was spoiled because they, we were we were so hot that it really it didn't matter if you were in Tampa, Atlanta, Charlotte, Norfolk, Virginia, Baltimore, Chicago, uh, uh, you know, L.A. I mean, all the we were so strong in all the core cities that we got just a tremendous response wherever we went. Now, the 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 the, the neat story is. You know, this little kid that grows up in, in a town called Great Bridge in Chesapeake, Virginia, earliest, my mem- earliest memories of TV are wrestling, too, kind of like you were saying. My dad now watching yeah. wrestling. And in 19, so I'm in high school in 1974 and, and just got introduced to wrestling in gym class, which I absolutely had no natural aptitude whatsoever for. I was like the kid on the beach that they kicked sand in his face and, and you know, you, you know, went on went on the, the muscle building routine to try to build himself up. And uh and and literally from by the time I was in nineteen seventy seven I was a senior, I was a state champion in the state of Virginia in amateur wrestling. And then go to college at Old Dominion University and while I'm going to college, I'm working security in the nightclubs in Virginia Beach. And I start seeing the professional wrestlers come in. I start seeing Ricky Steamboat, Greg Ballantyne, Black Jack Mulligan, and John Studd. And I start seeing these guys and, and say, man, look what they're doing. Look how much money they're making, blah, 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 blah. And so I get the great idea that, you know, I could probably do this and start working towards <laughs> it. Right? And I'm not going to give you the whole breaking story because we don't have enough time. But what are the odds <laughs> of the kid that was laying on that gym floor trying to do a push-up in 74, winning his state title in 1977, breaking in the wrestling business in 1980, and in 1985, less than 10 years after I graduated from high school, I'm selling out Norfolk Scope with the World's Heavyweight Championship with Ric Flair oh, and doing an hour with both of my granddaddies up in the stands and my mom and dad. Uh, oh, that's amazing. Tell me, yeah, what, that's tell me what planet that happens on. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, that's um, the, that that doesn't happen. <laughs> no. It's, it's almost it's almost the type of thing you you yeah exactly you know some people don't even dream of it much less you know that it happens to them so yeah, I, yeah that's that's incredible. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I do I do have to ask. I feel like you know, if I didn't ask this, I'd be crazy because it's obvious that you're still in touch um, you know, with the product and watching wrestling. Um, and you've mentioned Ricochet and, and Cody and, and Tessa, obviously. Um, but who, who are some of your, uh, your favorite guys these days? I know that you've mentioned Seth Rollins in the past, um, but are, are there some other names in particular that you just kind of watch? And well, it's like, I, I, you know, I do. that guy I, or I that love, guy has I love it. Seth Rollins. I, I, I I can't. He, he's to me. Before he got hurt, and they were giving him that huge push. I mean, to be able to perform the way he he does, but also to be able to handle the mic work. 
two, the way he does, mm-hmm. is like that is a triple-A ball player. I mean, and, and other guys have been able to do it. Obviously, The Rock, Steve Austin, you know, different guys have been able to, to do it. But in today's time, you know, to, to me, you know, there he's 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 like crazy. I mean, just really yeah. just nuts. <laughs> uh, but but you know, and and I and I'm glad you know Roman Reigns is where he's at right now. I don't think he was ready for it two years ago, but I think mm-hmm. with the journey and all the stuff with Brock. And all the th- you know the story, the story, the story, because that really did end up being a long story, which never happened, right? Right. But he really is a product of something that has been just going on and on and on, and he finally got that giant monkey off his back, and so mm-hmm. so you know he is a product of kind of that old school processing. And I really think it might work this time. I mean, I, I think he's got a, got a chance. Now, I will tell you, I you know, I, I could do come from that school of psychology, and to me, them putting the trio back together was great. But for them to all come out and just jump on Braun Strowman when he was saying, "I'm going to be a man and I'm coming to you face to face," was the most yeah. whacked out thought process I've ever seen in my entire life because they're supposed to be, yeah, a brotherhood and a flock and a pack, but that was just, that just just about screwed up the whole thing. But they had some good momentum going as far as I was concerned because Braun, people love him, and he's and he's a freak of nature, and, and now he's going to come out and say, I'm being a man, I'm going to be straight up with you, and yet you're going to have your, your guys come out here and punk me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It, it was definitely odd. It, it, have you have you been following it all on SmackDown and seeing what they've done with like Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair? That's a great angle. That's a great angle. It re- it, yeah. yeah, and it's it, Becky is just I think coming out of this even better than she was before. And of course Charlotte is. I mean she's amazing. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because I know some people have kind of complained about it because they 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 don't. I guess they don't like the fact that, you know, they think they're portraying Becky as a heel, but I don't see that. I just see it as somebody who wants, you know, what yeah. the other one has. And yeah. It's a struggle. And, and yeah. today it's not just black and white. and It's not just heels and baby faces. So it's personalities and it's a struggle and it's real. So the, the, mm-hmm. the, interview, uh, the interview that Becky did was spot on and everything she said was. And she, you know, she portrayed a frustration that brought her to that point. And she's ready for it to be her time. And it was great. No, that was one. Yeah. Of the, that was one. The, honest to God, the stuff, some of the stuff they've been doing in the women's division has been, you know, really close to overshadowing everything else going on. I agree. Yeah, I, I, totally of, yeah, agree. I agree. I agree too. Some of the stuff they've done, especially of late, has been great. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, and Ronda and Ronda Rousey, you know, Ronda yeah. Rousey name, and and just you know, I've heard people complain about her, and I'm going, guys, it's a big old universe out there, and and the and the eyes that she's brought on the business is no different mm-hmm. than when when Hogan was in the Rocky movie. And he's in Rocky movie. All of a sudden, he's a stand across from Stallone and Thunder Lips, and then then the whole evolution took off, you know. And and, and you know they ran with it. And she's, you know, she's a very if she ever if she ever gets the comfortable on the mic, 
to go with the the persona, you know, she's going to be unbelievable. Oh, yeah. She, she, yeah. Could be, I mean, she could literally be their biggest star. And she's yeah, completely I mean, believable. I mean, because of her track record, people, the second she walks into a ring, people can see she's a badass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She looked like, I mean, she looked, when, when I watched the, the tag match, I mean, I, she was in the ring. <laughs> when she was in the ring with Triple H, I thought she was going to kick everybody's ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know what? I This is totally, you know, not something I was going to ask, but I just got to throw it out there real quick because Tessa has done some uh, intergender matches and, and, and wrestled men. Now, coming from kind of an old school background, I know there are a lot of fans out there that don't like that. What's your opinion of that? Because you're right. Ronda looked like she was going to kick Triple H's yeah. ass. Well, I, I tell you, I don't. The reason I don't like it is because I, now I've got a daughter out there doing it, and what what mm. I don't like about it has nothing to do with the believability or whatever. Because I mean, everybody knows you know it's a work. But the thing I sure. don't like is uh, I watched her and Brian Cage, and Brian Cage, it, I, I I texted him after it was all over and, and just told him what a great thanked him for taking care of her first of all. But but when yeah. you got a two hundred, you know, a fifty plus pound man with a hundred, you know, with a uh, with a woman that's like a buck thirty, and something mm-hmm. that could go wrong, it's just it's just there's too much dimension difference. I mean, I, I know like you know Ray Mysterio, you know, a guy and he's been out there with giants and everything else, but a girl and, and a bump going wrong and and something going you know going awry with that is all I worry about because I I've seen I, I've seen when she was starting out some some people that weren't that professional and 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 thrown her around and and, and didn't let her take her own bump where she could have got hurt really bad and and that that kind of stuff I got no you know like zero time for and a, and a guy can could toss a girl you know, from the center of the ring out to the third row, if you wanted to. So it's just yeah. It, yeah. It, it, there's a there's a danger inherent danger that's very real that comes along with all that, and that that entertainment part of it that it is my only concern about it. I mean, I remember when China was out there you know, doing her stuff, but of course she was <laughs> she was you know an Amazon, and it and it, yeah. and it, and it made sense because she was bigger than some of the guys. But I mean, no, I don't think it, look, it looks right. It's a 130 pound girl giving a 250 pound man bumps. You know, if if you know if it's if it's Ronda Rousey and she's going to judo throw Kurt, you know Kurt Angle. You know, yeah, that can happen. But you're not going to be about. You know, I mean, that, that could realistically happen one time. It probably wouldn't happen again. <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> But but uh, you know it, I, I like I like it still to to make a little bit of sense and there'll be some sure. amount of where it can capture imagination, you know unless they they find out they came from you know Wonder Woman Holland or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, Paul, do you have anything else? Yeah, I just want to ask: Is this the longest you've gotten into an interview without somebody bringing up the best of seven series with the key to call offs? <laughs> because we talked about, I mean, we talked about the I Quit match, but everybody also talked about the best seven series. Yeah, and and I and I, ha, I I usually always do talk about Nikita, and Nikita and I are, are, have become uh, have, have been close all these years. Afterwards, we said we probably talk at least every month or month and a half. We we always stay in contact. That was a, a 
that was a great that was a great uh, series all the way around. And Nikita, as intense as I was as a baby face, he was equally as intense as a heel. And, uh, and and so that can be like a really good thing, or it can be really scary if one of them happens to be 295 pounds and, and just a little green. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but but he was he was really uh, a special guy back then, a special guy today. And and I'm I'm really proud of that. And I've told him, and I've told other people in other interviews. So I'm not staying out of school, but. For me, that was a test because I worked with all, I mean, all the great ones. I mean, from Ted DiBiase and Flair and Tully and, and Harley and on and wrestling too and, and Butch Reed and blah, 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 blah. You know, guys all, all, all along. In that mm-hmm. arena and in that angle, I was the veteran. Now, granted, I've only been in the business five years at this time and I'm the veteran. You know, so that that's really unheard of. First of all, you you're you're not supposed to be a veteran and and the seasoned pro until you you know really had some time under your belt. And and I probably had four thousand matches, <laughs> but but nonetheless, the I was the general in that. And of course, Ivan Ivan Koloff was there too. God bless him, and and he helped you know mentoring Nikita along, but. He and I had some long matches. We went, you know, we we'd go anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes, and had some really really good matches that that uh you know that I had to be the general of, and and it worked really well. And that was to me my test to see, you know, if if when that time came to represent as a champion, you've got to be able to go work with anybody. And I wanted I wanted to know whether I really could do it or not. And uh, and, that, and, and that thing came out really well. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And I, after all these years, so obviously it went well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that is really interesting to think about. That, that you know, you, your career was not necessarily very long, but it felt very defined. Um, and and there were. Um, you know, stages to it that just made sense. And, and with you being on the precipice of, of, you know, becoming world champion and, and everything that could have happened next, I think that even in spite of, of that not happening, the impact that you've had is, is pretty incredible. I mean, you, you know, for not having been in the business that long, I think you've got a remarkable legacy. And there's a reason why Paul and I, who, I mean, let's face it, I was born in 1981. I, I didn't get to see you know, a lot of your career, because I was just a kid, you know, a, right. a tot. Um, but here we are, you know, 30 plus years later, and, and we wanted more than anything to be able to talk to you. Um, how, do, how do you feel about that? You know, it is, first of all, it's it's very flattering. I'm honored, and, and, it's, and it's weird, and it's eerie all at the same time. Uh, and, I, and I can attest <laughs> it kind of to another little weird thing. So like, like growing up, I was a, you know, first, first Westerns with John Wayne and then Clint Eastwood. And, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, 1973, this movie comes out called enter the dragon. And I see this guy, mm-hmm. Bruce Lee, who I think is the most amazing, amazing athlete I've ever seen in my entire life. And he was already dead. 
He was dead. Yeah. Yeah. And the movie, when the movie came out, and and Warner Brothers brought that to the American screen. He died. He'd already died. And and I'm and, and so I I became obsessed with Bruce Lee, and I read every book about him, and I watched all the 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 Golden Harvest Chinese films that were made that had never come to the United States, and I learned how to use nunchucks, and I mean I'm just a Bruce Lee nut. <laughs> but the point the point being, you know, here he dies at like 32 years old, right? Brain aneurysm yeah. in his sleep. And and it becomes just massively famous after his death, and and so and I, and I had seen him on the Green Hornet, but I didn't know who he was when I was watching Batman right. or the Green Hornet when I was a kid. But <laughs> but but all but all that to say, you know, I had this whirlwind of of this career that started in 1980, you know, ends on you know just. A tragic car accident in October of 1986. So I basically was in the ring six years. And Jim Ross and I talked about this on his podcast too, because he was freaked out about it too. He said, "The what I cram- what was crammed into that six years is nothing short of <laughs> just amazing." And it wouldn't yeah. have mattered if I'd if I'd won, you know, said, you know, looked back and said I was 16 time world champion. It couldn't have been any more dynamic than what took place, and nobody ever remembers me in anything short of my prime because I was 27 years old, and uh, really? you know, and, and so it, and, and then the intensity of that match with Tully being, you know, immortalized in, you know, by being on video and then Vince putting it on his, you know, best top 10 cage matches of all time. Thing and, and then you know putting yeah. this out there on the network, it just brought it all full circle. So I, so I, you know I feel like I'm, I I laid the bricks for Steve for Steve Austin to come along. Absolutely. And and yeah. and and I, and I met Steve when he was with WCW. As a matter of fact, I I, I signed him to his contract because that's what I did oh, back wow. then. Yeah, I'm the one that he had to come in and sit down with and. Lady Blossom, his uh, his wife at the time, uh, Jeannie, yeah. and, and and go through their whole little deal with them and everything. I, I signed him and Chris Benoit, and and uh, Johnny B. Bad and several several guys during that era during my tenure working at TBS. But uh, you know, I really was. That's where I was going. He was able to take it to you know to the moon. Well, what he did, and and I and I totally I followed his entire journey, uh, watching it on TV, and I and I just sat there and laughed at myself and said, nobody will ever know. <laughs> but that's what's, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like you know, it's like somewhere there, I gave him a hot tag, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's so true. Yeah. But uh, but but I'm glad, and I still love the business, and and and, and people have been great to me. Uh, I I do you know do about a half a dozen little fan fests or comic cons or something a year, and take and I have ten year old twins, so I have boy girl twins, and my son loves loves going to these things uh, too. My daughter does too, but he he ends up having to drag around with dad more than uh, his sister does sometimes. <laughs> but uh. So yeah, I've got so I've got you know I got another and he's a TA. So I've got one more TA here in, in the background. <laughs> uh, 
Magnum TA 2.0 may be coming to a theater <laughs> near you in about eight, eight, eight or nine more years. <laughs> I mean, I saw him in the ring on that documentary. He was, you know, he was going for it. So. Yeah, he was flipping around. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you saw that? The one they did? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. I love that documentary, actually. I really do. It's it, The amazing thing about it is that I, I feel like it comes off so well in spite of not having, you know, being able to have a lot of the footage because WWE owns it, obviously. And I just thought it was it was so wonderful. It, it, you know, it's to me, if WWE were to do their, their own documentary on you, I almost wouldn't want them to i'd want them to just take you know the high spots documentary maybe add in like you know a little rick flair here or there and add in some matches but that's about it <laughs> well you know the thing that was so cool about that was i didn't know anything i mean obviously they interviewed me and i did all the talking but i didn't know what footage they had and i didn't I had no idea that they had dusty on there i had no idea that they'd interviewed jim crockett for it you know, I, I didn't know any of that was going to be on it. So when I saw it for the yeah. first time, man, I had a big old lump in my throat. I was about to fall out of my chair. I said, oh, my gosh, man, this mm-hmm. is too much. I mean, this is about as real as it gets. So, uh, yeah, it, it, they, they, and it's funny because they've got me under one of those nostalgia contracts. I mean, they could do whatever they wanted to do and, and you know, <laughs> put their put, put their touch on it. But it was kind of cool sure. that uh, – that uh, high spots put that together because it, it was a nice piece. Oh, I think it's so really well done. I watched it again last night, um, and I was the thing that always jumps out at me every time I see it is it, it's always weird to me to see Nikita Koloff talk without a Russian accent. It's bizarre. <laughs> oh man, hey, you know, funny story. Yeah, do you remember? Did you did you ever see the video of him and I when we did the signing and my mom was there and and uh, yes and I oh, yeah. we were. My mom wasn't smart up to that at all. Oh man! And she had no. And, and poor and Dusty and I put that poor woman through some stuff because we had just oh, taken man. her. We had just taken her another time to Virginia Beach and 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 did this thing where I was running down the beach and it came up and you know to see my mom and then 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 we had her sitting up in the stands in Norfolk Scope with nobody in there. This is before I wrestled Flair for the first time for the world's title. And we're sitting way up in the stands, and I've got a mic, and the guy's way down at the bottom shooting up, and he's zooming in on us. Well, I know this, and unbeknownst to her, I'm talking, and then I ask a question, and I threw the mic right to her with no top two, no nothing. And, and take one, boy, she ran off with it, did her deal, did her thing, and then a couple months later, we bring her in for this signing and knowing I know that Nikita and I are going to get into this thing and she does nothing. Next thing she knows, I'm going over the table and putting the boots to me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and she reacted really well. I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> She's going to run from the room screaming. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Oh, oh man. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like we should definitely uh, ask if you've got anything else coming up. I mean, obviously, we know you're going to be here at StarCast. Um, oh, what days are you at StarCast? I am going to – I'm driving from Charlotte, so we're leaving tomorrow afternoon. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, 700, 777 miles is what, what, what that little computer says. But uh, 
I've made that drive before, actually, because I used to live in Charlotte. So yeah, okay. I, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're we're gonna we're supposed to be at the venue for the convention or whatever it's called, the fan thing they're having, uh, about one o'clock Friday afternoon, and then I guess we'll be there for for a good portion of Saturday, and then I'll be coming over to the uh, Sears Center for the event on Saturday night. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, we uh, we're going to be there all weekend, and and you know, hopefully, we'll get the chance to to see you. Um, would would love to uh, be able to just thank you in person um, for for doing this. Um, now, after after Starcast and all in, is there anything else going on? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, you know, any any events or any places that people can see you or reach out to you? You know, I I, I don't have anything like. Like monsters coming up, I, I do. I, uh, a fellow named Tony Hunter that you know, he's got a little group called Big Time Wrestling here in uh, in the Carolinas that that books me, and I've I've got some little shows I'm doing here and there, but no no big comic cons or anything. I'm actually I've got one in October though that's a homecoming for Arn Arn Anderson down in his hometown. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that that that'll be kind of fun. Arn, what a talented guy he is. Uh, oh yeah. He, he, uh, I, I mean, he. I worked with him as he, when he was an enhancement player, as we'll call him. Uh, when I worked in Mid South, <laughs> he'd come up from from uh, from Georgia uh, with with the guys, and I. And then when I came to uh, came to the Crock, I say was an Anderson, and uh, just talent, talent beyond talented. Nobody, nobody better on the mic. Uh, than Arn Anderson yeah. when he was on. I mean, he was just mm-hmm. amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. I was, uh, I was actually in the at the Nitro when he made his retirement speech, and uh, it was, man, that was that was something else. Um, but yeah, just seeing him in general, it's funny you should bring him up because uh, you. Arn Anderson and Dutch Mantell were the three names that when I saw that they were going to be there, I was like, man, I really, I, I have to find a way to talk to those guys <laughs> um, at StarCast. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to be well, honest. Megan, as soon as we saw it come up that you were there, we both kind of got super excited. And said, well, if we get a chance to even meet Magnum TA, we got to jump on it. So we never well, know this, wrote, us, this would be the interview we'd be doing. Well, I'm 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 looking forward to it. I wrestled in the UIC Pavilion with Dusty, and then later on, I I called a, after the after that I called a, a pay per view with Jim Ross at, at the UIC Pavilion. So uh, yeah, I re- you know really got some good memories from, of the town, and looking forward to uh, coming back and uh, maybe meeting a few old fans and, and meeting a whole lot of new ones. I'm sure. <laughs> Well, I, I can tell you this. I, I live in Chicago now, and uh, you know, as, as as a Chicagoan, I can say that the city will welcome you because uh, it will be it'll be an honor to have you here. And and again, Paul and I are thrilled uh, uh, that you've taken the time to do this for us and been so generous with your time. At that, uh, I feel like we could just keep talking. To be honest with you, I, I have so many other questions I could yeah, ask. Yeah, we could but, sit here all day uh, with you, but at some point, you know, I think it's it's polite to let you go. Do your other exactly. Thing. But I, thought, and I, I <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. I apologize to you for any of the beginning. I, I do apologize. Hey, that, that that that's what makes it. That's what makes it all real. It's too perfect. <laughs> nobody would nobody would give the same ambiance from it. 
That's right. That's right. We don't want it to be too slick. We don't want it to be too slick. Uh, well, Magnum, thank you again so very much. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, I'm just going to say this. If you ever want to do this again, we would be thrilled and delighted because I, again, I feel like I could just keep talking to you for hours. So thank you uh, so much. All right. Well, thank yeah, you, thank gentlemen. You. I hope you all have a great afternoon. I look forward to seeing you guys in a couple of days. That sounds great. You take care. Thanks. Safe travels. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with Magnum T.A., the one, the only, the legend. Um, really just an incredible story, and, you know, we tried again to touch on some things that he doesn't necessarily normally uh, talk about. Uh, obviously, stay specific to some star cast and all-in stuff as well, and uh, we really hope you enjoyed it, and we certainly hope to be able to bring you some more content like this in the very near future. So while not related directly to New Japan Pro Wrestling, still very important for wrestling. And um, I I thought it was really cool to learn that he was booked for a trip to Japan um, right before the the tragic automobile accident that shortened his career. Um, But we're sincere, and and he sounded sincere. Hopefully we'll be able to get him back on and and ask some more questions because I literally could have kept talking for hours. Uh, I'm not going to do that right now, though. Uh, Paul and I wish everybody the best, and we cannot wait to talk to you more during and uh, after StarCast. We've got so much cool stuff going on. We've got at least one more interview lined up with someone who is a New Japan Pro Wrestling-related talent, so that'll be very interesting. And we'll also be at the Podcast Movement Westwood One pop-up studio on Saturday from 12 to 12.45, and of course, we're on Podcast Row all day Friday, 10 a.m. to probably 10 p.m. Um, we'll be doing contests and giveaways. We've got the Shining Wizard Designs Art Commission giveaway. Uh, well, competition, actually, a contest. It's a trivia contest. I was writing the questions up for that today. Uh, stop by the table, fill out the trivia form. You'll be entered to win as long as you answer some of the questions correctly. Not even all of them. Just got to get some of them right. Uh, we'll also have our Phil Singer Games products there. Uh, we'll be doing demos of the game. Uh, we might even get a legend to stop by and, and roll out a few matches with uh, some lucky fans. Uh, we'll be doing giveaways of the game as well. We'll have multiple sets there, so uh, lots of cool stuff. Um, we're also going to have stickers. Um, we've got two different sizes of stickers for King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. We've also got uh, our buddy Wilfred's New Japan AUS blog uh, stickers. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, Uh, Some other stuff, some other fun things. We've got a very, 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 very limited amount of T-shirts, but the reaction so far has been fantastic. Um, We will definitely be getting more printed up. They will absolutely be available uh, after StarCast. So if you uh, are not able to get one at StarCast, um, then you know just, just hang in there because we're definitely going to have more uh, available very soon and, and probably be setting up a, an online store so you can get those T-shirts. Um, and we really appreciate the support that we've had. That outpouring is super important. So we hope to see anyone who is going to be at StarCast there. Just stop by the table Friday. We'll be there all day. Uh, and then, of course, anyone who's going to be at all in. Um, We're looking forward to rocking the crowd with you. It's going to be a very special experience, and uh, we'll be back soon, uh, of course, with our regularly scheduled programming of New Japan Pro Wrestling content and coverage. Uh, We're going to be bringing back the Classic Matches segment, which we are super excited about. We're going to have a special collaboration uh, episode on a match here soon. 
We've already set something up with one of the podcasts that'll be on Podcast Row. We'll probably be doing more stuff like that. And of course, uh, Wilfred with the uh, Wilfred Watches podcast, we're also going to be doing some classic match uh, crossover content. And of course, we'll probably have Wilfred back in um, at some point here in the near future to discuss, um, you know, if not the World Tag League, uh, maybe even something sooner. So in the meantime, everybody... Take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening for, for, to, uh, to KOPW, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon from StarCast and beyond. 